Welcome back to Decoding Digital Health, a Ropes and Gray podcast series focused on legal, business, and regulatory issues impacting the digital health space. I'm Megan Baca, co-head of Ropes and Gray's IP Transactions and Licensing Group and co-head of the firm's Digital Health Group. I have a background in computer science and I practice law in the heart of Silicon Valley. And so I represent pharmaceutical, biotech, data, software, artificial intelligence, hardware, and technology companies and their investors on complex IP and technology licenses, collaborations, and other transactions. In this second part of my discussion with John Vaughn, Lead Product Counsel at Verily Life Sciences, we'll continue our discussion of Verily's innovative partnerships in digital health, the challenges Verily has faced, as well as the rewarding solutions that Verily and its partnerships have created. When we left off, John, you were describing the speed with which your technology has been able to develop solutions and products for end users. Part of that is based on, you know, the quick iterations of of products that you can do, like you said, in technology that you can't necessarily do in, in the pharma space um, in and of itself. Um, so right. in that context, um, it brings to mind the the concept of privacy. And in that context of speed, how you go about protecting a user's expectations of privacy in a world where things are moving so, so quickly and iterating so, so quickly. And I'm sure, you know, it's not black and white in all cases. So can you describe any product decisions that Verily's had to make um, that require balancing that rapid innovation against the user's privacy and also the steps that you take to assess and, and decide how to handle privacy and build that into the that rapid pace of development and iteration? One thing that we do really well is privacy by design. So when we are developing a product in, in any of the spaces um, that we're working in, we do it by design. So we're thinking about uh, the privacy principles, um, including consent, uh, minimization and transparency, and major legal frameworks that are going to affect the way that we design a product. So whether that's you know something like CPRA or GDPR or you know the various privacy laws around various states around the world, um, we're thinking about that as we're building these products, right? And the the second thing that we think about, which is more of an alphabet or a Google philosophy here, is that we respect the user. And so that end user needs to be comfortable that when she is giving us information, that we're being um, very careful of that information, that we're taking the minimum information we need in order to get that job done and nothing more. And I think those overall arching principles are helpful. One of the things that you'll find when you're developing products, particularly devices, is that we may find that a device will give us insights about a disease state. So for instance, if you're developing a pathology tool, um, if you find out that you could diagnose new diseases earlier, it's something to be thinking about in terms of privacy. If someone is given consent, um, but we think that we might be able to find earlier indications of a significant disease, uh, we need to think carefully about what principles to, you know, to engage in. So if we found out that AI was able to diagnose pathology earlier, um, you might need to reconsent patients in a clinical trial to make sure that they're aware that um, you might be able to give them more information, but that may not be what they signed on for, right? And so just thinking about what that user's expectation for any of our products 
um, is, the, is sort of the fundamental way that we do privacy by design. We're never going to sort of avoid every problem because there are always going to be use cases that you don't think about early on in the life cycle of a product, but that taking those privacy by design principles and putting them to work in each product that we're doing helps us minimize that. And not only does that minimize the disruption to your program, but it also minimizes the possibility that you will get more information that the user did not expect you would have. So you mentioned how your technology can lead to insights about disease states, right? And how we have to use privacy by design to ensure we're using that information correctly. In our last webinar, we spoke about the power of harnessing technology to develop a whole new set of tools for prevention rather than necessarily cure. Um, so, for example, using algorithms, like you mentioned, to identify signs where someone ha might be um, getting sick or might be likely to get sick. And it, it seems like that's a major tenant at Verily, which is to turn on its head the traditional healthcare approaches in implementing these personalized medicine solutions. So, for example, you know, instead of thinking about things as disease care, you're thinking about it as healthcare generally. And instead of treatment, you're thinking about wellness. Is that is that fair to say in terms of how Verily is thinking about kind of flipping the script on healthcare? That is right. And it's changing our point of view backwards from the individual to societal or public health level outcomes. And so you know, we talk a lot about machine learning and algorithms and how algorithms can screen for conditions that previously required a clinician's evaluation. And so some folks worry or perceive, therefore, that algorithms would take the place of clinicians or that the role of clinicians would somehow be diminished. And, and we see things differently, right? That, so machine learning algorithms allow for consistency and consistent screening, and that we hope will make diagnosis more accessible and lower the cost of screening for serious diseases. What we're trying to make more folks aware of is that eventually that will mean that people are screened earlier. And so for diseases that proliferate, the result will often be an improvement in patient outcomes, both for the patient, but also for society, right? That more people will be diagnosed earlier, receive better treatments, which is better for more people in terms of lives saved and quality of life preserved, but also reducing overall costs to the healthcare system. What this means is that the type of interventions that clinicians may offer will also change. And so that will also then change our aperture for where other processes or diagnostics are ripe for innovation, right? So we view that as overall beneficial for society. Right now, one of the things that we're doing too is that we're working on a COVID prevention and viral variant prevention project at the societal level. And so we're working with a number of stakeholders to spark a common national wastewater monitoring program that would establish sensitive methods, which are unified across all sites to help prepare for the next pandemic. Our vision is to make wastewater a free public health tool that would provide open source, actionable and real-time data to a wide variety of national stakeholders to rapidly track BA1, which is the Omicron variant, BA2, influenza, or RSV, with established capability to add new variants and other pathogens tested in wastewater. It's a great way of showing our scale as an organization, because early in the COVID pandemic, we started with individual testing, and now we're trying to figure out on a, on a county or city or national or international scale, if we could help uh, localities 
learn about variants of concern or other viruses when they first appear in the watershed um, weeks ahead of when you'd actually see a wave of patients going into a hospital. That is totally fascinating. Um, and really, yeah, really cool. And, yeah. And one of the things that seems to be a hallmark is um, this kind of really creative process improvement and, and improving health and healthcare, but also availability to places and people that didn't have it before. And, and I think a big part of that is accessibility. It's exciting for me to think about the possibility of more direct-to-consumer products and wearables that, you know, they could become the primary or a primary method of communication with the healthcare system or the healthcare providers. So is Verily thinking about this and what kind of hurdles do you see in the system to making this kind of accessible um, technology for people to interact with their healthcare system and providers? It's such a great question, and it's such an interesting space for our industry. You see everything from Fitbit to Apple Watch. You see a lot of different wearables where we now have the capability to obtain a lot of different digital biomarkers. And I think then the question is, as a consumer, because most of these are consumer products, what do you do with that, those insights? And um, that is more the space where Verily is in, which is that we have a product called StudyWatch, which can be used in clinical studies where you can obtain digital biomarker data that would give a pharmaceutical manufacturer a more holistic set of data per patient about other digital biomarkers that are relevant to their analysis. And, you know, for instance, if you were giving a patient a new drug to treat, um, you know, a heart condition, you know, understanding mobility, understanding, you know, pulse rate, understanding, you know, whether there's any excursions um, is really helpful data for a manufacturer while they're conducting a clinical trial to see if there's, right, if there's anything from ways that they could change treatment to, to early stage signals, right? So that's useful tools for a customer. And, and that area is interesting because you can consent those patients to obtain those exact digital biomarkers, right? Through the informed consent process, because there's an IRB usually looking at clinical trials. Um, it's a very interesting way to learn these new things. For digital health companies like Verily, it's clear that companies have to continually think about reinventing and iterating not only on their products, but their own focus, their own priorities, their own purpose. So what considerations should be at top of mind when thinking about making uh, changes to strategic priorities from one service to another through you know, acquisition or partnership or even shutting down projects, uh, what sorts of things come to mind for, for companies like Verily when evaluating really where is the next big thing, where should our uh, resources be best deployed, um, and all, all that thought process? I think the most important consideration is to keep your promises to the consumers or the patients who are using your devices. And so, a lot of times in life sciences or in tech, uh, because there are always new things and interesting things, um, you know, we, we're excited by newness. We're excited by focusing on new products. But understand that there are patients who rely on the products that you're putting out on the market right now, whether that is a, you know, a digital health product or whether it is a, 
uh, drug that's subject to shortage or whether it's a medical device that might not be profitable, but is life essential, right? All of those things require you, you to keep faith with the customers who have used your product or the patients who've used your product for years. So number one is you always need to be thinking about those patients, keeping your promises and making sure that when something is made better, that you're keeping those, those early adopter patients in mind. The one thing that I need to tell you is that I came from life sciences and in the 18 months that I've been here, I have learned a lot and I've been humbled about all the things that you need to understand from a technology point of view about the things you need to do to make sure that you're in compliance with laws and regulations with respect to technology. So it's not an either or, it's thinking about it holistically. And smaller companies tend not to do that. And I also think you need to think long-term about adoption of a product, like I said, keeping your promises to your patients, um, making sure that you don't pull the rug out from anybody um, who comes to rely on your product. And also think long-term about where does this product or this service or this software fit in the healthcare ecosystem now? And where will it five years from now and 10 years from now? And I think those are probably fundamental things to keep in mind as you're doing diligence or thinking about new partnerships or new products. Well, I am excited to see where Verily goes in the coming years for sure. <laughs> so, so any closing thoughts or memorable quotes, headlines, posts, um, news items you've heard recently that has you thinking about or excited about new aspects of digital health? I joined this company because I really believe that this is um, where the future of healthcare is going to be. And so I, I think for the rest of my career, it's going to become increasingly clear that, it, you know, sort of precision medicine or health tech or, or digital medicine um, will just become medicine. So I'm excited to see how these products become integrated, and I'm excited to be a part of part of it. And I'm excited to be working for a company that thinks carefully about users and privacy. And you know, Megan, when we spoke back in March, I, I still think that it's interesting that you know these two disciplines in technology, we always talk about failing fast and and coming to the next iteration. Um, and then in healthcare, there is a conservatism because you're dealing with patients and diagnoses in their lives. And so you, there's a reflection of the Hippocratic Oath, which is first do no harm. And our job at Verily is to reconcile those two perspectives in a way that enhances both personal and public health. Well, I think that rounds out the conversation. John, thank you so much for joining me. I have learned a lot. And to our listeners, please stay tuned for additional podcasts in the series. We'll be discussing further trends and, and hot topics in digital health. So definitely tune in. On upcoming podcasts we have planned, we'll be talking about developments relating to digital health and clinical trials, artificial intelligence, machine learning, and, and other subjects. Thank you so much for listening today. We appreciate you tuning in to our Decoding Digital Health podcast series. If we can help you navigate any of the topics we've been discussing, please don't hesitate to get in touch with us. For more information about our practice or other topics of interest in the digital health space and to sign up for our mailing list with access to alerts and updates on notable developments as well as invitations to digital health-focused events, please visit ropesgray.com slash digital health. You can also subscribe to this series wherever you regularly listen to podcasts, including on Apple, Google, and Spotify. Thanks again for listening. 